0: Last time, you're going to think I'm completely, you know, more than usual off my rocker. Uh, but uh, I'm going to depart from the Psalms one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, it was to continue this idea of the fear of Lord. And the fear of the Lord is in this message as well. But I wanted to kind of focus a little bit more on the men who are here that might be staying over after Shepherds Conference. And to do that, we're going to look at a uh, different portion of scripture, not the Psalms. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes 12. So if you want to open there, Ecclesiastes 12, just the last part, verses 9 through 14, as we look at what Solomon has to say. You know, it goes without saying that if you were here this week, there was a lot of ministry to every single seminar and every single time that they could gather together was because They're here to understand what it is to be a preacher. They're here to understand not only the Word of God as a theologian, not only the Word of God as a layman in the church, but also as an elder and a teacher and a preacher of the Word of God. And they've come here to this place, I think, maybe more than any other because of the character of our own pastor, John MacArthur, and they see in him a portrait of what it is that they want to be one day a portrait of a man who is in action a leader a man who reveals who he is on the inside by the way he conducts his life on the outside because we all know that pressure reveals character pressure reveals character and so i wanted to spend some time looking at for those men especially but really for all of us in my office you would see all the books and papers that would normally be a part of a pastor's desk you would eventually run into this myriad of small frames that I have leaning against my, my bookcase. And each one of these frames contains a portrait. And each one of these portraits has been handpicked to lean across the books that are behind them. These portraits are men who labor to write the words that surround them. These are portraits of men whom I esteem and whom I long to follow. Underneath these portraits are brass holders that I had made to contain printed cards of the name of the man who was above it. And why would you think that I'd go to such elaborate lengths to do this? Because there are men who have impacted my life, and these men I want to be reminded of daily. These are the men who have poured into my soul the profound truths that have shaped me and shaped my ministry. Each portrait is significant. A preacher, a preacher. First on the left-hand corner is a painting of the Apostle Paul done by a Dutch artist known as Rembrandt. When you come in, you'll see the great Apostle Paul, of course, whom we have no likeness or no photography of, is the one who inspired the very last book of his letters with the insignia of Preach the Word preached the word in season and out of season. It was the Apostle Paul in Acts 16.37 after being illegitimately beaten for being a Roman citizen and thrown in jail that instead of accepting his release joyfully, when the magistrates came for him, he demanded that the government be held accountable for the harassment and violation of the law against him. He is the great one who patterned his entire life after the greatest preacher of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next to his portrait is of Martin Luther. It would be Martin Luther who would blow the trumpet of the Great Reformation and who would say when being accused by his accusers, first in Latin and then repeated in German, unless I am convinced by Scripture or by clear reasoning that I am in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves, I cannot recant, for I am subject to the Scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Next to his picture in my office gallery comes the other great author, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. And John Bunyan, it would be, who would write that Christian classic and be in a prison cell after being put there for 12 years for the hideous crime of preaching the gospel. Next to him, I have a portrait of the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, It was Charles Spurgeon during the Broad Street cholera outbreak of 1854. Activities of the church had not let what had been happening to the community stop them. Because when the news of death raged all around that city, Spurgeon found that it was at that time that the Londoners were the most receptive to the gospel. So instead of allowing a virus or a disease to stop them, they would continue in fact, he said, "If there were ever be a time when the mind be sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when first I came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terribly End quote. Then, on my bookshelf comes the doctor, the great preacher of the twentieth century, Martin Lloyd Jones. On one occasion, a bomb fell just a few yards from his church during the service. "'Causing the plaster from the roof "'to fall down on the heads of the congregation "'during World War II. "'And when the bomb hit, Lloyd-Jones was praying, "'and then he went on to preach his entire sermon. "'Under his picture is a portrait "'of our very own John MacArthur, "'arguably the greatest preacher and expositor of our day.' Because it was Pastor John, as you know, when confronted with the state's violation of the church's First Amendment right to practice our faith as God has instructed us, he was the one who boldly remained resolute to stand for the church's need to stay faithful and fought courageously to guarantee our right, even today, years later, to worship during that entire worldwide pandemic. These are the portraits of the men that hang in my office. These are the portraits of the men that lean against the bookshelves. And yet there is one more portrait I want to speak of today. It needs to be made known to you. And this portrait is a portrait that maybe you would not think would be included in a gallery of preachers. This is a man at first glance who you would not consider to God would ever allow him to write. He chose to write under the pen name of the preacher, Though he was a king, he was a wise man, he was an entrepreneur, a poet, a songwriter, a sage. In his last book, he called himself the preacher. He was satisfied to be known as simply one who came into the great assembly and preached the word. And in fact, the title of his book translated the book of the preacher is Ecclesiastes. That's the translated term for what it is that you have before you. The preacher obviously was Solomon. And the lessons he left to us are without number. And so I want this morning to draw your attention to this very last lesson that he left in the last book uh, that he wrote, because when it came time for God to allow Solomon to lay down his pen, to never, ever write again, to never, ever be inspired again, the last stroke of the So when he come to the end of his life. We come to the end of his letter when all the other subjects that he had investigated in this mighty treatise were explored after thousands of words that he gave and were written and said and done. He ends this treasure with a portrait of who he was, a portrait of why he wrote, and ultimately a portrait of who preachers are to be. He ended with an examination of what a true preacher should possess And what they should hold to. So I thought it would be very, very fitting this morning to look at this. And again, you already have your fingers probably marked on the page. Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 9. And just listen as I read these thoughts from the wisest man who ever lived. He writes, "...in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs." The preacher sought to find delightful wordsmen are like goads. The master of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But in addition to this, my son, be warned, the making of many books is endless and much devotion to books is wearying to the flesh. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God And keep his commandments because this is the end of the matter for all mankind. For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. What we have here this morning for us are five portraits. Of the preacher. Five different portraits of the preacher, or better, uh, maybe five characteristics of the preacher, the great King Solomon, who has left us to justify his ministry and his life. And the reason he wrote these words, and the reason that he went not just to sign his look like, so that we might recognize a true preacher of God when we hear him. So let's look at this first portrait that he leaves us. If you're taking notes, the first characteristic of the preacher that we are to understand so that we might recognize a true preacher when we see him. That being, number one, first and foremost, the preacher possesses wisdom. Number one, the preacher possesses wisdom. That's the first characteristic that we see. Look with me at the first part of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. He writes, in addition to being a wise man you can stop there in addition to being a wise man the preacher possessed wisdom the preacher possessed great wisdom in fact greater wisdom than anyone around him now it goes without saying we're talking about solomon solomon was a man a wise man he was the wisest man that ever lived except our lord jesus christ In fact, if you remember wisdom to Solomon and a discerning heart so much so that no one after him or before him was counted as wise as him. His wisdom was unquestionable. His wisdom was profound The Queen of Sheba, if you remember the story, traveled great distances to marvel at what she had heard because no one had ever been spoken of like this man. No one in the ancient world could fully absorb the magnitude of the great wisdom that had been supernaturally infused into Solomon's mind. God had given Solomon an understanding heart so that he might be able to judge his people. He might be able to discern between good and evil, that he might be able to look at his people and help them like no one in the history of humankind. And when Solomon had received this wisdom, he expressed the essence of it in all the Proverbs, Proverbs that we have studied, Proverbs that we did just a few years ago. It was Solomon that wrote most of them. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9:10. So to be wise, to be truly, truly a wise man, one would have to be more than just kind of set aside to a special class of sages. You would have to be meaning something more than that, more than just keen insight into the matters of the world. To be wise is, as we continue this thought, to fear God, to fear God. Solomon had given God great wisdom, a wisdom seen in his ability to fear the one that granted him the wisdom. Now, this is important to note. This has not always been the case with Solomon. If you remember his history, if you go back again through the Old Testament, wisdom is not something that solomon always exercised the wisdom here that solomon possessed this fear of god that the preacher speaks of later and also verse 13 is a gift that he could abuse to fearing god the the horror of solomon's life was that he allowed something other than love of god to dominate his life The wisdom that he had been given by God to judge the people was used to entertain himself. Solomon used the wisdom that was to lead him to the fear of God to lead him to the fear of man. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12, it tells us that Solomon set his mind to seek and explore wisdom concerning all that had been done under heaven, and he hated what it did to him. Verse 16 says, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind had observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this also is striving after wind because in much wisdom, there is much grief and increasing. So something had happened to Solomon. Something very, very horrible had happened to him. Solomon went woke. (laughs) Solomon went woke. Solomon, like some today who are preachers, who once champions of the faith, who once stood on the foundations of biblical truth, slowly, over time, maybe hard to even analyze or understand, they allowed themselves, like Solomon, to erode and lose their footing and reverence for the word of God. Look, it is easy for a man or woman to stop fearing God. It is easy for a preacher to disconnect his passions from his purpose. It is easy for a pastor to sense a level of giftedness in his own life and then to become fully absorbed in fulfilling some secular approach to ministry rather than just holding to the ancient paths. Under the guise of being relevant, all over this country, all over the world are hijacked with fear. Men who stop fearing God and start fearing man. That's why it's so telling in Ecclesiastes, at the end of this letter, he can say, in addition to being a wise man, in addition to this, verse 12, my son, because regardless of how many times he rejected wisdom, regardless of how many times he called wisdom vanity, no matter how many times he wrestled against the use of his own genius, He ended the argument by saying, I finally come home. I finally come to my senses. I have finally repented of my sin. I fear God. Wisdom has restored me. And you know what the greatest indication of this in the letter is? The last message he ever preaches in the last book that he's ever given the ability to inspire, he says, fear God. If I can say one last thing before I'm gone, if I can... Solomon says that's the first brushstroke that you look for in a pastor. That's the first brushstroke in a portrait that you're looking for in a man of God, in a preacher. He must have a heart of wisdom in that he seeks the fear of God. There's a second portrait, if you will. The second portrait that Solomon leaves us is the second characteristic of the preacher, and that is that we might paint us also the same way as those who are pursuing the pastorate. A preacher not only possesses wisdom, but number two, a preacher teaches knowledge. The preacher teaches knowledge. This is important for you to listen to because I think it's something that you need to compare with all of us as you go through your ministry here at Grace Church. If this is not true of us, if it's not true of those who are pursuing the pastorate or who are pastors, then you need to be knowledgeable that that paint stroke somehow has faded. And we see that by looking at the second point of being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. So the preacher is the teacher. Some people say the only difference between preaching and teaching is volume. (laughs) There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. You don't really usually get really caught up in the fact that you're uh, teaching a particular point of atonement, but you could be. But it's true that a preacher is a teacher, and it's important that Solomon calls himself the preacher. This was Solomon's word for himself in terms of a self-appointed title, Ecclesiastes, the word that's translated preacher is the Hebrew word for it comes this underlining root of a group of people who are gathered together. So that's what this whole idea comes from. Koheleth becomes the title given to a person to hold some kind of religious position in, in life of the people of Israel. Why? He brought them together. This is what a preacher does. He brings them together. He assembles them to worship. He, does. he He's here to, to gather them to tell them the truth. In fact, in the Septuagint, it's translated Ecclesiastes from our Greek word, Ecclesia, which of course we derive the name church or assembly, the called out ones. He's here to teach the called out ones. He was to be a speaker for the church. He's to be a speaker for the assembly of God. So he's to be a man who is called to be a pastor, one who gathers people together and stands before the people to proclaim the full counsel of God. Solomon calls himself preacher instead of Solomon because he wants to emphasize the need for them to listen. Listen to what he's about to say. Listen to what he has been saying. More than him being a king, though he was, more than him being wise, though he was, Solomon wanted his audience to listen to him as the one responsible to assemble them together to hear the truth that he gave them to understand. So think about that. Solomon comes the very last book that he's ever going to write in his whole life. that's inspired by God, and he doesn't do it as a sage, and he doesn't do it as a king, but he does it as a preacher because the people must listen to how truly right God is. Now, when all is said and done, what mankind needs is not another philosopher. We know that. What mankind needs is not another politician. What the world needs is more preachers to proclaim the truth of God. So why else would the Apostle Paul write in Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him whom whom they have not believed and how will they believe in him whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher? So what is it that this preacher is to teach? The object of his teaching, verse 9, tells us knowledge. It's knowledge of the priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord. So it's interesting that here Solomon refers to himself in the third person, the the preacher, just like Daniel does actually in his prophecy as well, just like the apostle John does actually in his epilogue. It's to confirm the authority of the writer. And, And so he speaks of himself not as Solomon, but as the preacher. And what the preacher teaches is the knowledge of God. He doesn't teach experience, so that it's so easy to want to teach, and so many times it's a seduction. He doesn't teach emotion. He doesn't teach the emotionality of finding truth and how you feel. He doesn't teach listening to yourself or contemplating your own navel. He doesn't teach self-actualization. He isn't an entertainer. He's not an entrepreneur He's just a teacher with the goal of giving the people the knowledge of God. That's why the pastor of the preacher's portrait that must be painted. Not only must the preacher possess wisdom and teach knowledge, but number three, the preacher studies truth. The preacher studies truth. Look at that again, the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. And he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs the preacher sought to find delightful words and words of truth written uprightly. He is one who studies the truth. I think that should hang outside the library of every single seminary in the world, but it doesn't, sadly. The preacher teaches what he has studied. The the preacher teaches what he has pondered. Makes sense? I mean, you would think it would make sense. I know, unfortunately, because I teach preaching labs here at the Master's Seminary that I have, not lately, but in years past, seen men who have come and noticed it's not difficult to sit there and say, did you spend any time studying what you just preached? Did you, did you actually open a commentary or meditate or pray or open the scriptures for any amount of time? Or did you just kind of, I hate to say this, but wing it? And to their shame, these young men will sit there and say, I'm behind in class. I, I'm really struggling here. I, I knew the passage. I preached it one time years ago, so I just thought I'd do my best job. He's, he's not understanding the responsibility of preparation. He's not understanding the importance of studying the truth. Instead, he's the one who should be leading the congregation in the truth. He isn't teaching merely a copy and paste sermon. He isn't plagiarizing in fact, I'll say this because some of our dear brothers are here from Australia, there was a man that I knew who used to do just that. He copied the best preacher I know. And then they said, he's too good. And then they realized that he had been stealing and not claiming John MacArthur. I want to tell you something real quick. This is a side note, but it's so fun. And I never get to tell you these things. So <clears throat> years ago, I was preaching... And I noticed as I was going through a particular series that every time I quoted Pastor John, people in the congregation would just shake their heads like this. Yes, yes. And when I, so I thought I'm going to try an experiment. So I quoted Pastor John, but didn't give him any credit. And everybody was just nothing, (laughs) nothing. And so kind of like an exercise in futility, I thought, I'm going to write something and I'm going to quote it as if it was John MacArthur. And I said, and John MacArthur said and everybody's, wow. The high degree of respect that people have, if you mention John MacArthur's name in our church, uh, people shake their hands, even if they don't understand what the quote meant. I'm trying to understand. It didn't sound like John, but I don't think he's lying. And it also tells you that you have to be very, very careful because the people of God are vulnerable. And you have to be careful what you say and you have to be careful that you don't plagiarize. You have to be careful that you're honest in your work. Solomon is saying he's teaching that he pondered over and over. He had gone over. He had deliberated and and carefully decided what's the best way to communicate this truth to these people. So his concern is for the truth for the absolute veracity of the truth and how it's communicated. When Solomon said that he pondered, searched out, and arranged many Proverbs, he's telling us that in so many words in our circles here at the Master's Seminary and at Grace Church, the the understanding that the pastor is a theologian. The wisest man who ever lived needed to think. The wisest man who ever lived needed to study. The wisest men who ever lived needed to meditate on the words as to what do they mean. Solomon was committed to study. It's always true. Almost in every area of life you see people the people who aspire toward doing the work that they've been given in an excellent way study. The tendency to be a person who has a natural giftedness and not to study is huge and it's a sin and it's wrong but he wanted to know the finer points of grammar and syntax and context because to Solomon, words matter. Exegesis matters. Grammar matters. It's not like some kind of emergent church folk that might think that it's all and a preacher for sure but as a preacher he did what every preacher worth his weight and salt has done and that is he agonizes and labors over exactly how he should write and emphasize and paint various pictures and and try to understand how it is that i can say what god has said to the people so it makes the impression that god has moved his heart to make for when solomon was moved to write it it was God who filled his soul and God who moved his pen. But it was the preacher who would turn every phrase and everything he wrote. You know, it's interesting. As Peter tells us, we mentioned this last time, 2 Peter 1, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It is this burning heart of the preacher to find, even in the midst of horrible truths, even in the midst of speaking of hell and damnation and judgment, to say them in such a way that the fullness for all that comes from God contains both trembling and transcendence. And so the pastor is careful how to think. J.B. Phillips. Bible scholar once wrote this, if words are to enter men's hearts and bear fruit, they must be the right words shaped cunningly to pass men's defenses and explode silently and effectually within their minds. That's an amazing way to say that. If a man of God wants to be effective in ministry, you have to think and ponder and say it in such a way where people can hear you. It's impossible to speak of such glorious and profound things without expanding and expounding them to make people's souls hungry for them. And yet Solomon adds, not in such a way where the truth would never be distorted. He has to write the words truthfully. Do you see that? Verse 11. It has to, excuse me, because he's standard. Why? Why would you care? Why would a preacher care? Is it because you want to be known as eloquent? Some men it is. Is it because you want to be seen as a wordsmith or as an actor? Do you want to be seen as a person who can really weave word pictures or to move a crowd for the sake of a uh, a greater offering that week? The Apostle Paul says that his message did not come to the Greeks in superiority of speech and persuasive words of wisdom, as though their merit stood or fell on his ability to pontificate. In other words, God made it in such a way that the preaching of the gospel would not count on my ability to speak, but he still had to rely on the power of God. No preacher worthy of his name would be to seek and find words just for the tickling of the ear, to to tickle the congregation, to make them impressed with him. In fact, if you're impressed with the preacher, I hate to say this, but more likely that they would pierce the heart. In fact, that's what it is when he says verse 14 that he says so clearly God would bring every act to judgment, everything that is hidden, whether it's good or evil. So he doesn't shy away from hard sayings. He didn't shy away from issues of sin and judgment and fear and law. He didn't even shy away from them for a very, very specific reason. And that brings us quickly to the fourth brushstroke of a portrait from the preacher, the fourth characteristic of a preacher a preacher possesses wisdom a preacher teaches knowledge a preacher studies truth and now the preacher also shepherds convictions he shepherds convictions and you see this in verse 11 the words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails they are given by one shepherd one shepherd God They're like nails. They're like well-driven deep into the heart to wake men up. He says, I'm writing words that will prod men into action. I'm writing words that will nail these truths down, words that will secure them into place and make them unavoidable to hear. In other words, he begins by saying, I've spoken to you in this letter the way I've spoken to you that you might seek truth. Because after all, the blood, sweat, and tears that I've poured out and everything that I have done is laid to waste. I know that even though these words hurt and I've tried to say them in such a way where you were not tempted to forget them, the final curtain will fall. And I will have no longer any opportunity or platform to speak. And so I want to drive these nails, drive them for you to remember, like a shepherd who drives his flock in the right direction with sharp sticks. The preacher drives right convictions to the assembly. They must seek the truth through that sting. You must seek the truth, in fact, until the sting stings no longer. J.C. Ryle once expressed it this way, "'I speak strongly because I feel deeply. "'Time is too short. "'Life is too uncertain to allow of standing on ceremony. "'At the risk of offending, I use great plainness of speech. "'I cannot bear the thought of hearing you condemned in the great day, "'of seeing your face in the crowd on God's left hand "'among those who are helpless, hopeless, and beyond the reach of mercy.' I cannot bear such thoughts. They grieve me to the heart. Before the day of grace is past and the day of vengeance begins, I call upon you to open your eyes and repent. Oh, consider your ways and be wise. Awake, awake. Why will ye die? There was an article that was written a few years ago about the courage of our... He said, truth leads to convictions and convictions produce courage. Without convictions, the church will continue to be led by men without chest, men without chest. They won't have the fortitude needed to stand in the dark days, but who will feign courage by passionately criticizing nobody but those who have it. And then he goes on to say this, far too many of our 21st century evangelical leaders are better at being politicians or motivational speakers than they are at being warriors. And this is a cultural movement when we have a desperate need for warriors. And I might add shepherd warriors, shepherd warriors. And that's because the preacher's portrait is always seeing him as driving convictions into his congregation toward godliness, towards holiness, towards righteous living and faithfulness, because that's what a pastor does. That's what Pastor Joe MacArthur does. That's Street does. That's what every pastor in this church does. Which brings us to our fifth and last brushstroke of a preacher's portrait. This is the preacher's portrait, the preacher's characteristic. Not only must a preacher possess wisdom, teach knowledge, preach truth, and shepherd convictions, but lastly, number five, the preacher believes inspiration. The preacher believes inspiration. And you see this in verses 11 and 12. The words of a wise man, as I said, are like goads. The master of these collections are well driven nails, and they're given by one shepherd. But in addition to this, my son, be warned the making of many books. Is endless, and much devotion to books is wearying to the flesh. Now, at first blush, when you read that, you might not see the connection between what I just read and the preacher believing in insp- the, preach- <laughs> the reading of books is wearisome, and I understand that. I get that. I have I have bags under my eyes that will never go away. But Solomon is saying something else here too. He says, "Do not go beyond these beautiful words." Look at that in verse 12. It's got to be connected to the end of verse 11. So don't go beyond the the words. Why? Because they belong to one shepherd, the shepherd. They are inspired. They are sufficient. So don't seek truth outside of the truth contained herein. The Apostle John does a very similar thing in the New Testament canon, Book of Revelation, with the same warning that really we have here in the Book of Ecclesiastes as well. The warnings are the same. The Apostle Paul also commands, Learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. So Solomon is not saying disregard the New Testament. That's thousands. If they go beyond what I have said here, in what I have written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be warned. Be warned, my son. They are inspired by God and they come from one shepherd, and that's the only book you need to know. Every shepherd's conference for years and years, I have used the gift that they give us to buy a new Bible. I have leather Bibles coming out of my leather Bibles, I have a collection of leather Bibles. And, and this year I didn't. I, I restrained myself. And I gave my, my coupon to my son. Take it, run, quick. I'll use it. My father chastised me one day when he saw my Bibles. And he said, why don't you just read this one more? <laughs> yes, father. But it's goatskin, dad. <laughs> John, oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. You don't need a lot of books. Do you know all the books that we have in the Master Seminary over there? Over hundreds of thousands of books. All of those are written about this book. All of those books are written about this one book. There's probably 200,000 now that I think of it. I think the number is 200,000 books in our basement with one goal, to explain this book to future classes of men who are coming to rely on God. Well, that completes our portrait of the preacher, stroke by stroke, feature by feature, line by line. He's to possess wisdom. He's to teach knowledge. He's to preach truth. He's to shepherd convictions and believe inspiration. And may I say that that is a true pastor, a true preacher. And must I also say that we must struggle day in and day out to make sure that we are three till our dying day. I just want you to listen to this one final cry. It'll get us out on time, but it's the best thing I've ever read, and I've probably read it to you before. It used to be on my table, the doors that opened to my roll-top desk, but I'm going to say it again. This is the call and the cry from one pastor to another. Fling him into his office. Tear the office sign from the door. Nail on the sign, Study. Take him off the mailing list. Lock him up with his books and his typewriter and his Bible. Slam him down on his knees before text and broken hearts and the flick of lives in a supernatural flock and before a holy God. Force him to be the one man in our surfeited communities who knows about God. Throw him into the ring to box God all the night through and let him come out only when he is bruised and beaten into being a blessing. Shut his mouth forever spouting remarks and stop his tongue forever tripping lightly over every non-essential. Require him to have something to say before he dares break the silence and bend his knees in the loathsome valley. Burn his eyes with weary study. Wreck his emotional poise with worry for God. And make him exchange his pious stance for a humble walk with God and man. Make him spend and be spent for the glory of God. Rip out his telephone. Burn up his ecclesiastical success cheats. Pour water in his gas tank. (laughs) Give him a Bible and tie him to the pulpit and make him preach the word of the living God. Test him, quiz him, examine him, humiliate him for his ignorance of things divine. Shame him for his good comprehension of finances and batting averages, Psychiatrist form a choir and raise a chant and haunt him with the night and day saying sir we would see Jesus and when at long last he dares assault the pulpit ask him if he has a word from God if he does not then dismiss him tell him you can read the morning paper and digest the television commentaries and think through the day's superficial problems and manage the community's weary drives and bless the sordid baked potatoes and green beans better than he can Command him not to come back until he's read and reread, written and rewritten, until he can stand up worn and forlorn and say, Thus saith the Lord. Break him across the board of his ill gotten popularity. Smack him hard with his own prestige. Corner him with questions about God. Cover him with demands for celestial wisdom. And give him no escape until he's back up against the wall and send him a chapter and order him to walk around it and to camp on it, to sup with it, and come last, to speak it backward and forward until all that he says about it rings with the truth of eternity. And when he's burned out by the flaming word, when he's consumed at last by the fiery grace blazing through him, and when he's privileged to translate the word of God to man, and finally transferred from earth to heaven, then bear him away. Gently and blow a muted trumpet and lay him down softly. Place a two-edged sword on his coffin and raise the tomb triumphant. For he was a brave soldier of the word and ere he died, he had become a man of God. Let's pray. Father we are so blessed here. who desire with all their hearts to serve you, to love you, to be used of you, and to be counted among the same men that you have outlined even in your scriptures this morning. Thank you for these who are faithful. Thank you for those who have worked so hard many times without any encouragement, without anyone noting anything but just expectation and yet they still, week in, week out, deliver and preach and teach and are completely dependent upon you. And Father, I also pray for those who are tempted to forsake the calling of their ministry, to think of it as a vocation, a secular job that they do, to pencil in and check off boxes and to leave when the clock says it's 5.00. Help them, God, is that your word demands for them and paint them as a portrait of a true man of God. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.